coverage. This is the PFT PM podcast. And now your host, Mike Florio. April 24 edition, two days from the start of the 2018 draft. And we got a lot to get to. I'm not going to meander as much as usual. We have three interviews coming up. Josh Rosen, the UCLA quarterback, Bradley Chubb, the NC State defensive end, and Calvin Ridley, Alabama receiver. Before we get to the interviews, we still don't know what's going to happen at the top of the draft. And I find that both fascinating and irritating because as we get closer to draft day, people want to know what's going to happen. My answer is, I don't know. Nobody knows. The Browns have kept their cards pressed close to the vest, which means that anything can happen. And we end up back in that mode of filling the void by taking speculation and turning it into news. That happened last week. And I don't want to pick on Adam Schefter, but he's the one who keeps doing it. Actually, I do want to pick on him. It's kind of fun. Is that wrong? Am I better than that? Apparently, I'm not. I've been told before I'm better than that. And I said, well, I'm proving each and every day that I'm not. That I am petty. That I do worry about things that I shouldn't worry about, but... Just speculate if you're going to speculate. Not everything has to be a news item. You don't have to take something that is your idea to throw out there. Hey, don't rule out Baker Mayfield as the first overall pick and find someone who under the cloak of anonymity will give you something that you can then use to validate your speculation. Just speculate. All speculation can be validated in some way. We could track down somebody to say something that could be presented as an item of news. Consider very carefully what was reported. And again, this is the second time in less than a week where this has happened. Last week it was the, well, Tom Brady hasn't committed to playing in 2018, so, you know, that's news. Well, yeah, he hasn't committed to playing, but so what if he has committed? You got to sign a contract in blood? You can't go back on it? You can't retire? Now it's the notion that Baker Mayfield, quote-unquote, definitely has been a part of the Cleveland Browns' considerations with the number one pick in the draft. The source, I don't know who. Who is it? Is it somebody with the Browns? A league source. League source can mean anybody who has a connection to a team or the league office. Definitely part of the consideration. Well, if he visited the Browns, and I'm pretty sure he did, then of course he's part of the consideration. Of course he is. And if the point is, hey, let's not assume it's either going to be Josh Allen or Sam Darnold, just say so. You don't need to have a league source say, well, you know, he's definitely part of the consideration. You know, they brought him in for a visit, so I'd say he's part of the consideration. No shit. No shit. I just don't understand the compulsion to turn something that isn't news into something that feels like news. What, a GM with another team? Well, you know, he's definitely part of the conversation. He's definitely part. They, they, they're conversing. He's part of the conversation. I can tell you as part of this conversation that he's part of that conversation. Just speculate. It's okay to speculate. There's nothing wrong with speculating. This isn't news. And I don't know. I, th- I think what he does, frankly, peel back the curtain. I think he keeps his eyes and ears open 
for speculation that's out there. And then he tries to one-up the speculation by turning it into news. And the speculation had been building that Mayfield is in play. Dan Patrick said yesterday that he's hearing from a source that he trusts that it's Josh Allen or Baker Mayfield. We've been banging the drum about Baker Mayfield. And actually, a couple of listeners, members of the PFTPM posse, who heard the John Dorsey interview, and I don't know whether that was a PFTPM interview or PFT Live. I think it was PFT Live, regardless. Nevertheless, the PFTPM posse is broad enough, encompasses PFT Live when the interview isn't on PFTPM. The John Dorsey interview from the league meetings last month was interpreted by some, based upon his comments about Tyrod Taylor, as an indication that he wants Baker Mayfield. So that speculation, conversation, whatever Asian has been out there, the idea that you're going to find a league source, an unnamed source, who may be with a team, who knows, one of the other 31 teams. It's not a Browns source. A league source says he's in the conversation. Of course he is. Or was. Or may be. He could be the number one overall pick. Allen could be the number one overall pick. Sam Darnold could be the number one overall pick. Saquon Barkley, I guess, could be the number one overall pick. Although, in my estimation, that door slammed when they paid Carlos Hyde. How do you make Saquon Barkley the number one overall pick when you've when you've signed Hyde? So, again, I'll stop criticizing when people stop taking items of speculation and trying to turn them into news by throwing an unnamed source onto an item of speculation. Because I guarantee you, I could talk to somebody from every single team in the NFL and they would say, yeah, Mayfield's part of the conversation at number one. They visited with him. He's a quarterback. They're taking a quarterback. I could say Rosen's part of the conversation. Lamar Jackson visited the Browns. He's part of the conversation. See how easy it is to make speculation into news? So just stop it. I'll stop criticizing this practice when this practice ends. Deal? Deal. Here's Josh Rosen, former UCLA quarterback. We continue our discussions with the top prospects in the 2018 draft. Joining us now, UCLA quarterback Josh Rosen. And he joins us thanks to Old Spice's red collection of premium scents, including New Captain, designed to help guys everywhere step up their scent game without breaking the bank. Learn more about the red collection at OldSpice.com. Hello, Josh. How are you? Really good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. I'm doing great, and it's great to talk to you. I've been looking forward to this. Now, I'm sure you're looking forward to getting this process over with. Are you at the point now where you count days, hours, or minutes until it's finally over and you know which team you're going to be playing for? Um, you know, I mean, you kind of it's, – it's interesting. The days go very long, but the weeks go pretty quick. So, I mean, I, I remember starting the training process for the Combine back in January like it was yesterday. Um, every day seems like it's 48 hours, but the weeks actually go by pretty quick. I mean, it's a pretty cool experience. I've, I've done a lot of things these last couple months that I've been dreaming of doing since I've been a kid. And you have such a narrow focus. You have to in order to get through the various stages before the draft. But how do you process the reality that it is all open-ended on the back end, that you're working towards something that you really don't know what it's going to be and you're not going to know until Thursday night? 
It's really unique. I mean, in no other career, uh, usually when you get job offers, you get to pick where you want to go. But um, football is a little bit different. Uh, professional sports are, are, are a little bit different. Um, but I'm, I couldn't be more excited to be a part of the NFL, become a part of the NFL. Uh, and Josh, early- okay. you threw one right into my wheelhouse there when you talk about picking where you get to go. Because one of the questions I ask plenty of the incoming draft picks, you got to pick where you go to college. You don't get to pick where you start your professional career. You may want to live in one part of the country. Doesn't matter. It's not up to you. Do, do you wish you had the ability to say, here's where I'd like to start my NFL career. Here's where I'm going to be the best fit. Here's where I'd like to live. Here's where I'd like to be. Here's who I'd like to work for instead of being sucked into this process by whoever it is that decides they want you. Sure. But then again, I think certain teams would, would um, dominate o- over others based off of where they are. I think it, uh, especially with the salary cap too, it, it, it gives a, a, a level a level playing field for everyone. And, and um, the NFL gives you enough money to where I'll, I'll go anywhere you want me to. Um, usually uh, <laughs> in other careers you got to start is it start in the mailroom. Um, and uh, that's, that's not the case with professional football, thankfully. Who's given you the best advice throughout this process over the past several months? You know, Aaron Rodgers has been helping me out a ton. Um, he uh, He's part of our agency. He's helping produce this TV show that we've been doing, Destination Dallas, on the NFL Network. Um, and, I mean, you see some stuff on camera, but a lot of it behind the scenes. Just how to how to carry yourself. Um, um, how, to, how to be the best version of yourself uh, – for your teammates, for coaches, for for executives, um, uh, he's he's been a really big help um, on and off camera on how to how to approach the NFL. Um, I mean, it's professional ball. It's a it's a really big uh, it's a really big bite to take, and uh, I don't think you're ever ready for it, but you can be as ready as you possibly can be. Give me the number one football tip that Aaron Rodgers has given to you. <sighs> football tip. Um, Practice uncomfortable situations. Um, he's big on uh, in practice, um, creating havoc in 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 situations where there isn't necessarily any to be there. So like uh, routes on air, if you're throwing throwing a couple of the same routes instead of just taking a three or five step drop and just delivering it on point, so your coach doesn't yell at you. Um, take it to the next step. Um, mess with yourself. Throw off platform. Um, make it game like. Make everything game like and and and. Um, Treat every rep as if you are on the final drive of a Super Bowl winning two minute. Josh, the number one thing I've learned from watching your experience in advance of the draft is you got to have a thick skin if you're going to be successful in the NFL. Do you feel yourself developing by necessity a thicker skin as you deal with all the various questions and criticisms that have been heaped upon you? Sure. Uh, I mean, I I think... um... With social media, it's not too hard to stay away from it if you just stay away from it. Uh, I mean, I think it's got social media some really cool, uh, really cool opportunities and platforms you can use to do good things. But if you get sucked into it, uh, you can make it as difficult as you want it to be. I mean, people can talk about the recruiting process in college, how it's all—it's um, a grind, it's tough. It's—it's it's only hard if you make it hard. I mean, if you want to just pick a school and go to a school, it is what it is. I mean, I'm going to go out every Sunday um, and uh, play to the best of my ability and. Um, I'm going to analyze the film the week to come, look at the next opponent, try to play better the next Sunday. I think uh, it's only hard if you really bring it upon yourself. Uh, I mean, the last couple of years, some, I've been criticized a little bit, but uh, I think that get, people are starting to get to know me. Um, and I think that uh, I should mesh with an NFL team 
hopefully will pick me, and, and hopefully the rest will become history. One of the things that bugs me, Josh, about the criticism you've gotten is this notion that you may not love football. Why do you think that there's a concern as to whether or not you love football? Um, you know, I, I think it started an interview I back, said back my freshman year talking about my teammates, how a lot of them, if they, they didn't have football, they would they would really be, be pressed to provide for their families. And um, and I, I wouldn't. And I, that got misconstrued a little bit differently. But I, to be fair, though, I think I wouldn't. I don't think I would be able to tell you that I really, truly did love football my freshman year of college and, and um, any time before that because a lot of it came easy. I mean, I lost three games my entire high school career, won a state title my junior year. Uh, my freshman year, we went eight and five, and that was considered a very disappointing season because, I mean, we lost Miles Jack, Fabian Moreau, and uh, Eddie Vanderdose all within a three-game stretch at the beginning of the season. So we kind of chalked that one up to injuries. But my sophomore year, for the first time, football didn't go how I, how I wanted it to. And that was a, kind of a, a sense of adversity that I, I enjoyed the challenge. Um, it was tough at first, um, going through a lot of emotional things. But um, come January 1st of 2017, moving into that junior season, I, I made a decision that football football was going to be my everything. Um, and that's why I want to come to the NFL is because I want to see how good at this thing I can be. Um, football didn't go right for me for the first time, and I, I accepted that challenge. Um, and I think I thrived, and I want to continue that. Um, on the professional stage, in the biggest stage, on the toughest, toughest level. Uh, I, I really want to see um, if I can stand on the same field as Tom Brady, um, as Aaron Rodgers, uh, as as all these dudes. I mean, on defense, Luke Keekley's. Um, I want I want to stand on the field with these dudes, and I want to I want to earn their respect. Um, I want to play with them, and uh, I want to belong on that field. And as time moves on, I want to thrive on that field and be the best on that field. And when you get to the next level, Josh, the talent is more compressed. The adversities are more inevitable. How much do you think that going through that early in your college career is going to help you deal with the adversity that is destined to come at some point in the NFL? Yeah, you know, people ask me um, throughout the throughout the, the scouting process, say, do you like if you could go back, would you go to another school? And I say, absolutely not. I'd love UCLA. Um, had a lot of ups and a lot of downs. I mean, we, we came back from 34 points against Texas A&M, and we also lost some really disappointing games um, in some disappointing fashions. Um, dealt with coaching changes, dealt with a new coordinator all three years of, of, of college, uh, dealt with a new head coach my last two games of college. Um, I think all of this really has has toughened me up and, and taught me how to overcome adversity and, and, and um, prepare me as best to be a professional and face those um, larger adversities than I ever could be. Give me the number one attribute, Josh, that you believe you're going to bring to your first NFL team. Um, I, th- I think I'm just, an, I think I'm an alpha personality. I think I'm that dude. Um, I think I'm going to go into a locker room. I'm obviously going to know my place. I'm going to work my butt off. I'm going to earn the respect of my teammates first. Um, but as time moves on and, and I, I turn more into that leader that leadership role um i think that i will hold i will hold a team i will hold guys accountable i will hold myself accountable i'm going to be that dude um that at the end of the season when the game's on the line and you look your teammates in the eye you can promise them and ensure them that you are going to down you are going to go down the field and score a touchdown and as you progress in your career, there will be instances where there'll be guys in the locker room that may not respond well to that. Do you have a strategy for 
dealing with situations like that, if you have some teammates that aren't receptive to the notion that you're going to be the alpha guy, maybe they want to be the alpha guy. Well, the alpha guy doesn't actually necessarily mean you're talking like it. It just means you carry yourself like it. When people look at you, they, they, they know what they're getting. They know that you're doing the right thing at all times. And with regards to different personalities, um, I think that's why leadership is a, is a progression over time. It's not people are asking you through the process, like, what's your leadership style? And you can't just go out and say, like, um, I'm going to give a motivational speech before every game because it's not there's not like one single brush stroke that you can just push over everything. It takes time and effort. You have to you have to get to know your teammates um, in college. It took over three years to develop some of these relationships and and they need to understand how invested you are so that once it comes down to those crucial moments in a season, when you say something, it comes from a place of understanding and respect for how much I have put in in the offseason. The leadership comes in the offseason and Monday through Saturday. It doesn't come or in, in college, but in the NFL, it doesn't come on Sunday. It comes in all of the days in between. And you have to know how guys respond. Some guys might need a kick in the butt. Um, some guys might be super self-critical and they need some encouragement. Um, it, it's Every relationship is unique. And it's 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 messy it takes time there's not there's not a, a end-all be-all trick you can do or there's not some pretty answer you can throw out there for a team it just takes time and effort and you have to get to know a person and and, and you have to understand if if that person is willing to put in that effort to become a leader and i can say with full conviction that i am that guy and when i say a type personality that's what i mean the fact that i'm i'm gonna be that um that gel in the room that relates guys on the team that have nothing to relate to because I'm going to be doing the right thing at all times. Some NFL quarterbacks start right away as rookies, Josh. Others have to wait. Aaron Rodgers waited three full years before he began his career as a starter. What's your preference? I don't have one. Um, you put me on the field, I'm going to do what uh, what I've been doing since I started this game when I was third, started in third grade. Um, I mean, I love this game. And uh, my goal every season is to make my offensive coordinator and head coach um, fully content and happy with what they ask me to do. You know what? If it's if it's a if it's a, a team tradition where they make their their new quarterback draft pick be an equipment manager for the first six months, you know what? I'm gonna be the best equipment manager in the country. Um, if whatever they want me to do, I'm gonna do to the absolute best of my ability. And if they want me to compete for that starting job and take it, that's absolutely what I'm going to do. Your former coach at UCLA, Jim Mora, had some comments about you recently, and there's been a matter of interpretation as to whether or not they were positive, they were negative. He believes he hasn't said anything negative. How much have those comments from Coach Mora come up in your discussions with NFL teams? Uh, not too much. I mean, Coach Mora, before he went on every time, has texted me and saying I'm going on, saying some good things about you. And, uh, you know, it's uh, I've got a really t- very tight relationship with Coach Mora. Um, he's been – he's taught me how to – he's – helped me grow up and become a man i mean i i got to know him at 16 and now uh um he's letting me go as a as a uh oh i think hopefully matured uh 21 year old um i mean he helped, he helped me become a man um and i owe him a lot he uh um regardless of what he says on media or whatever we always um have a very very tight relationship Josh, before I let you go, Baker Mayfield uh, notoriously drew a line at number five below the Denver Broncos and said he's not going below that spot. Do you have a line that you've drawn anywhere in round one? I, I'm not really into all those kind of little gimmick things or whatever. I just, whatever team wants to pick me, I promise you, um, I'm going to deliver. I don't care where it is, um, whatever round. Uh, I just want to belong to. I just want to have teammates again. 
I just want to have teammates and I want to win football games. I won a championship my junior year of, co- junior year of high school, won a state title, and um, it's an addicting feeling, winning a championship. And there's nothing more that I want than that feeling again and again and again and again. I don't care what team, where it is, how much money you make, whatever. I just want to win championships. Well, Josh, we look forward to watching the journey. We encourage everyone to check out OldSpice.com for the red collection. We thank Old Spice for making you available. Josh, thank you for giving us some of your time. And all the best this week, and congratulations on all your success so far. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been awesome uh, hanging out with Old Spice um, and uh, getting the word out about the uh, captain scent. So uh, hopefully going up on stage, I'm smelling nice and fresh for uh, uh, Mr. Roger Goodell. All right. Thank you, Josh. It was great talking to you, pal. Definitely. Take care. Thanks again to Josh Rosen and Old Spice, illuminating conversation with a guy that, you know, the crew in Connecticut, and here's how we do these interviews. The interviews that are repurposed for PFT Live and will end up as video clips at profootballtalk.com. We get the trifecta. It's like Costanza and love-making television, and salted cured meats. We get three for one here. We taped it earlier. I go up to my studio that's above my garage. I'm here in West Virginia. The call comes through Connecticut. There's a crew in Connecticut and Stats who, late in the morning when we did this, he's still around because he gets in really early. He leaves his house at like 3 a.m. or he gets up at 3 a.m. or whatever it is, and he gets to the studio so he's usually gone early afternoon but he's still there for late morning interviews and he said the crew in Connecticut was ready to run through the wall after hearing Josh Rosen so strong impact on folks Jets fans up there who are hoping that Rosen is the guy at number three it's going to be Rosen or Mayfield apparently Mayfield's in the conversation there too how about that breaking news Mayfield's in the conversation at number three he's in the conversation at every pick until he's picked then he's out of the conversation Here's a conversation with NC State defensive end Bradley Chubb. We continue to talk to the top prospects for the 2018 draft. Joining us now, Bradley Chubb. Thanks to Old Spice Red Collection of premium scents, including new captain designed to help guys everywhere step up their scent game without breaking the bank. Learn more about the Red Collection at OldSpice.com. Here he is in his red shirt, his Old Spice shirt. He is Bradley Chubb. You know, I've been talking to a lot of quarterbacks and they're the top prospects, right? Doesn't it drive you crazy when you hear about all these quarterbacks this time of year? I mean, a little bit, but I mean, at, this, at the end of the day, I'm still blessed to be here. So I try not to look too much into the, the whole quarterback talking all that and just understand that, I mean, I'm here living out my dream. So, yes, sir. But you're going to see a lot of these quarterbacks at the draft. And you're going to see them throughout the week. Does the process of intimidating them begin right now? No, nah, not right now. See, we're just trying to have fun right now, trying to be around our families, enjoy company and all that. But as soon as we as soon as after the draft starts, then that's when that's when the intimidating starts. But see, they'll least expect it now. This is the perfect time to start. Uh, you're right. So I mean I could I could probably like do a little untying of some shoes or something. <laughs> Well, you've got a great you got a great habit of of stealing hand towels, and I'm trying to think of what you could steal from Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen on draft night. Well, any ideas? I could like undo their tie or something. <laughs> they, I think they give you the card. I think they give you your draft card with your name on it and who picked you. I think you should try to get as many draft cards from the quarterbacks as you can. <laughs> or rip them up. Just do whatever I can to, to uh, ruin that for them. Where did that hand towel thing come from? Honestly, it just came from, like, 
being in the locker room, uh, like, guys were just, like, Kyle was always the dude that was just doing stuff just to mess with people. And so uh, I was doing that at practice and all that, and then somebody had, like, I bet you won't do it in the game. And then I ended up doing it in the game, bringing towels to the sidelines to our equipment manager and stuff like that. So it just, it just started like that and just, just blew up, really. Are you going to keep doing that in the NFL? Probably not, because I don't want to be uh, too predictable, so I might switch it up. I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch it up. Well, I'll tell you what, they already are ready for you at the NFL level. you got guys like Vaughn Miller saying that you're a combination of him and Khalil Mack. When you hear that kind of praise, how do you react? Uh, I react in the, the most humble way possible just because I know all the hard work it took me to get to that point. And uh, it's one thing for me to say, I mean, I said it at the combine, like I felt like I was blending there, those two games. But for him to actually come out and say it was um, a humbling experience and um, it just put a chip on my shoulder and I just want to go out there and, and work to prove him right pretty much. What part of your game, Bradley, have you been working on the most to help you thrive at the next level? Uh, just the, the pass rush aspect. I mean, I, I know tackles going to be a lot more athletic. Um, uh, about the same athleticism as me, just bigger and uh, going backwards. So, I mean, just understanding that I can't just win off pure athleticism anymore. I got to actually put moves together. And um, I, I did that a little bit this year, I feel like, and um, just fine-tuning that throughout this process. Yeah, you stayed at North Carolina State for one more year specifically to make yourself more prepared for the NFL. Give me one concrete way that you think you're better now than you would have been if you would have come out last year. Uh, I feel like my mindset is different. Um, I, I started to think more as a professional last year at school. Started to do things to, to help my body prepare. I mean, to help my body perform at the level I wanted to perform at. And I feel like that just the mental aspect of the game and of preparation and different things like that helped me out and uh, for this next uh, journey of my life. What's your favorite pass rush move? Uh, it's called, we, a lot of people have different names for it, but we call it the uh, side scissor. So it's just taking your two hands and swiping like that. Timing it up perfect. The, uh, how, many, how many different moves do you think you're going to need in order to make this thing work when you're in the NFL? Um, I had a lot of D-line coaches telling me, actually, that you only need like two or three moves and just if you perfect those moves then um nobody should be able to block you so um it's i it's one of these quotes that they always used to read to us was uh you do ten thousand repetitions of one thing or ten thousand uh things with one repetition so it's just just doing one thing a lot of times and perfecting it fine-tuning it and making sure that's like your best skill how much of it is almost like a bullfight for you where you have to kind of dupe the tackle into thinking that you're doing something that you're not going to do and, and maybe you, 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 you apply that fake and it makes it easier to blow past him? Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, just different setups. It's just uh, how he protected a different rush the week before or how, he doing, um, he, how he's kicking on different protections. Just whatever he – like, I'm pretty much just reading – how he did things and what he did the week before or the, the play before and just trying to use his weaknesses against him pretty much. How much time did you spend at North Carolina State studying what your opponent for an upcoming game had done in past games? Oh, man, uncountable hours. Me, Justin, BJ, um, we just stayed in that film room. Uh, we, we really got out of class at like 5 o'clock pretty much every day during, during the season, and we were in that, that film room from about 5.30 to – till 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, just however long it took to understand what we needed to do for that week. 
How happy will you be when this is all over and you know which NFL team you're going to be playing for? Um, it's, I'm going to be real happy. I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying the process, like I said, but for it to be over and for my goals and my dreams to finally come to life, it's going to be real fun and real exciting. You know, a lot of people have your window, Bradley, pegged at as high as number two to the Giants, maybe number six to the Colts or somewhere in between. Is there a certain number that if you haven't gotten the call yet and you're still on the board that, that you're going to start wondering, wait, wait a minute, something's going on here. Something's not right. Yeah, but not really. Just because, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. I, don't, I want to go to the team who feels that they're going to use me uh, in the best way. And if that's at 10, if that's at 12, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, of course, I want to be up in that, that high ranks. But um, if it if it doesn't work out like that, I won't be. I mean, I'll be a little bit upset, but I won't, I won't like, hold a grudge against any team or anything like that. I just go out there and continue to prove people wrong like I've been doing. You know, during this four-month period as you get ready for the draft, there's a lot of people like me in the media who have their opinions on the players, the weaknesses, the strengths. Give me one criticism you've heard about your game that bothers you. Uh, when people say that uh, I don't have elite bend, I feel like that, that bothers me a little bit. I feel like I'm a very athletic guy who could, uh, who could bend the edge, and I showed it on, on tape as well. So when people like say that I don't have it just because of a – of a three cone drill or something like that, that that bothers me a little bit just because they're going off what other people say instead of actually sitting down and watching the film for themselves. And you mentioned the three cone drill. Those are part of the activities that happen between the scouting combine, your pro day workout. And during your pro day workout, there you are grinding away. And all of a sudden, Bill Belichick jumps in to give you coaching. How do you stay focused on your drills when all of a sudden you're being coached by one of the great coaches of all time in any sport? I ain't going to lie. I was a little just a little bit starstruck when I saw him in the building just because he's a um, a coach that's done so many great things, five Super Bowl rings, and one of the best coaches, arguably, uh, to this day. So, I mean, um, it was it was cool seeing him in there and for him to be out there working with us was cool as well. So, um, I feel like that was a, a huge moment, not only for uh, the people who were working out that, uh, at our pro day, but for the, the generations to, to come at NC State because a lot of those guys were out there watching and like, Bill Belichick's here. Like, if we do what we're supposed to do, he could come to ours too. So it's going. It's like a building of a, of a legacy, pretty much. I feel like, and uh, it's, it was cool to see. Hey, and I'll admit to you, I was a little envious. He said more to you in thirty seconds than he said to me in my entire life. So you're doing something right <laughs> to get that kind of attention from Bill Belichick. You're also doing something right. That the, the now I I watched the highlights of the guys before I interview them, but my my favorite Bradley Chubb highlight is what I call the flop, drop, and roll against Syracuse. What in the world? <laughs> I mean, you sold that thing all the way to the ground and then a few times over. Uh, how'd you perfect a move like that? I don't flop. I just react. And I was pushed, so I reacted that way. I mean, I fell. And I got the flag. And then I rolled a couple times because I was... Um, I don't know why I rolled a couple extra times, but right. when he pushed me, that's how I really fell. He pushed me pretty hard. The first push was real, but but you did. I thought it was beautiful how you you actually threw the arms up as you rolled the first time. I, I I love things like that. I think it's great. I hope you keep doing that in the NFL. When you know, not that I want to see you get knocked down, but if you do, you may as well have fun with it. Exactly, exactly.
I actually didn't push that hard. I'm not going to give him that much credit. I didn't. <laughs> it didn't. It did. I, I don't think that 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 would be enough to knock down a guy that's six four two seventy five. But uh, um, either way, I enjoyed watching that moment. So for, for you, what are, what are you most looking forward to when you're on a team, when you're moving to a new city, when you know who you're going to be playing with to start your NFL career? Uh, just getting to work. Really, I've just been so much back and forth the past couple months. I'm just excited to get back to work get back to getting on the field, actually playing football, not just running around in in T-shirts and thinking that we're doing something because um, at the end of the day, we're all doing this just to play the game. So when we get a chance to play the game again, that's when it's going to be fun. Well, you got the Old Spice shirt. You got the Old Spice products. Tell us what you have going on with Old Spice. So um, I'm doing – I'm just hanging out with these guys, blessed with the opportunity to be here. And um, just out here trying to get the word out about um, the the new captain set. Um, It's like a – it's a – Luxury scent without paying the luxury price of for a great scent. I mean, I got it right here. I used it this morning. Made sure I stayed fresh. Uh, my mom's gonna be with me um, on my arm the whole time, so I can't I can't be smelling musty around my mom. I'm gonna be shaking Mr. Goodell's hand. I can't be up there nervous, sweating, and and smelling like uh, <laughs> smelling musty trying to shake his hand and holding the, up the jersey. So just partner. I mean, just getting with these guys and making sure that we're getting the word out about it. Hey, uh, Roger Goodell doesn't give out handshakes, Bradley. He gives out bear hugs, so you got to be ready for that. I look if I go like this and I'm sweating and getting in state. What what can you take from Roger Goodell during the bear hug? I mean, there may be – I don't know that he has a hand towel, but you maybe get his handkerchief or something. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> we'll be watching. I'm going to watch very closely. Think about what to take. I'm going to watch very closely when you get your bear hug from Roger Goodell to see if he's missing anything afterward. Bradley, thanks so much for your time. Congratulations on your success and all the best this week and beyond. We look forward to seeing what happens for you on Thursday night. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again to Bradley Chubb and to our friends at Old Spice. Old Spice coming through. You know, PFTPM Posse, we got to work our contacts here. Old Spice would be a perfect, perfect sponsor of the PFTPM podcast. An organic natural sponsor. I've been using Old Spice deodorant for years, so long I can't remember. I use the the red, where is it? It's in here somewhere because I used it today. Sport, it's not the, I'm not using the, 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 uh, whatever the new collection is. I need to. I use the sports scent. I've been using it for years. I got my Old Spice t-shirt on. They sent me a Old Spice box after the Super Bowl, because we had a bunch of Old Spice guests on. So I got the body wash, the shampoo, the deodorant. I got the T-shirt. I'm set. Everything but the sponsorship. Come on, Old Spice. Official deodorant, body wash, shampoo sponsor of PFTPM and the PFTPM Posse. We got one more that was not sponsored by Old Spice, but I'm sure Calvin Ridley would like to get on, on the act as well. I spoke earlier today with the former Alabama receiver. Here's our conversation with Calvin Ridley. We continue our discussions with some of the top prospects for the 2018 draft. Speaking now to Alabama receiver Calvin Ridley. Calvin, welcome to the program. How are you, pal? I'm great. I'm great. How are you? <laughs> hey, hey, I'm doing great, but not as great as you. The draft is coming this week. By Thursday night, we're going to know where Calvin Ridley is headed. Where will you be during the draft? I'm in Fort Lauderdale, Florida with my family. <laughs> Why was it important for you to be with them on the night that you're drafted? Uh, just, you know, they've been with me all my life. Just to 
I have to be around them and they have to witness this. I mean, I got My family has to see it. When you, get the, when you get that call on Thursday night, Calvin, and obviously the message is going to be, we're drafting you, whichever team it is. What's your message going to be back to that team that picks you? Man, I'm going to just, I'm gonna just tell them that, you know, thank you so much and that they made the right choice and that I'm going to come in and, you know, work hard from day one. And uh, I'm not going to say much because I know I'm going to be very, very excited, but uh, I'm just giving them something brief and uh, quick and just tell them thank you, really. Calvin, do you have a short list that you keep to yourself? And I don't want you to disclose it unless you want to, but a short list of teams that you hope will be the ones that call you on Thursday? Uh, no, I'm really just, you know, it doesn't matter what team. I'm just happy that, you know, I get the opportunity to be able to be in this, situ- to be in this position, you know, so it's a blessing. So I really don't care what team drafts me. You win a national championship in early January, and then you immediately get swept into the process of getting ready for the draft. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of travel. What do you What do you do to get away from the stress of getting ready for the draft? Uh, tell you the truth, I just keep working. No days off. I mean, uh, if I take days off, I'm going to get behind. So I can't get behind. I just keep working. And actually, I feel better when I do that. How much of that work ethic comes from the fact that you played for Nick Saban at Alabama? Uh, yeah, a lot of it, I think, because um, Coach Saban puts us through a lot, and uh, I think I just, you know, caught on to it. it's a habit now that you know I feel weird when I'm not, you know, doing something. <laughs> And Calvin, I've heard Alabama players say when they go to the NFL and they experience practice, training camp, et cetera, hey, the NFL is nothing compared to what we went through at Alabama. Right. I heard some of the same similar things and uh I know I just got I got uh I got when I get up there I gotta, you know, figure things out, scope things out right away and then, you know, get comfortable and, you know, I make my way in. How often are you in contact with guys who played at Alabama and who are now in the NFL? Oh, yeah, pretty often. I mean, most of the guys are, you know, close friends and, you know, I hang out with them. So pretty often. Tell me who's given you the best advice so far to get you ready for what's to come on Thursday. Uh, I would say like Julio and probably Eddie Jackson. What was you know, Julio's Julio, advice? You know, yeah, Julio is just, man, I was working out with him before I started flying out, and he was just, you know, he's amazing, man. He knows so much, and he just, he helped me with a lot of different ball drills, and uh, he just told me, you know, when I go in there, treat it as the same way I treat it as here. You know, take advantage of every opportunity, and, you know, go in there and just, you know, get in my book and stay focused, really. That was really the message. What's the ball drill that, that has helped you the most improve your catching ability? Oh, man, he does this tennis ball drill that, you know, like we're running around with him, and it's just me and him. We're running around, and we're throwing like three tennis balls. So I have to really like try to catch them all, and they're all they're all over the place. So it's, it's just a really good ball drill that helps a lot, makes you keep moving, you know, when, as a receiver. We're, we're constantly moving, and, you know, we're not just standing there catching the ball in one spot. So, you know, it's a really good drill. When you're working out with a guy like Julio Jones, do you find yourself thinking, hey, I can be as good as him? Or do you see yourself saying, I don't know how I'm ever going to be as good as this guy? Oh, of course. I definitely feel like I could be as good as him. I mean, I never, I would never tell myself that. And, uh, but uh, I definitely like me, me training with someone like that. I get more confidence in myself to, you know, go out there and perform better. 
Give me the number one skill that you think you're going to bring to your first NFL team. I think I can create a lot of separation. I'm going to get open. I'm gonna, I believe I'm going to get open really well. What has Julio or anyone else told you to expect when you line up across from an NFL defensive back whose mission it is to keep you from getting into your route? Well, Julio's mindset is that no one can guard him, and he's going to destroy anybody because I've heard him say it. So I just feel like, you know, I got to just, you know, anyone get in front of me, I got to take full advantage of every opportunity I get to make it well known that, you know, I am one of these the best receivers here and that I'm going to, you know, do my job and get the job done. How many visits have you made in advance of the draft? Uh, I think it was five or six. Who all did you visit? Uh, the Bears, uh, Patriots, Titans, Panthers, ooh, Dallas. I think that was it. Is there an NFL receiver out there other than Julio Jones that you would try to pattern your game after and try to emulate? Yeah, I got a couple guys I like to watch all the time. You know, when I, when I do watch, I like Emmanuel Sanders, Amari Cooper, and Antonio Brown. Is there any one criticism that you've heard about your performance as a receiver that, that you think is unfair? Uh, I'm small. <laughs> I guess I'm small. Well, what do you say when, when people raise that? Uh, man, I'm a football player. Um, um, I got the film, you know, I get the job done. I played with the best, I beat the best, and, you know, I'm ready. That's what I say. And I don't really hear it. I just keep working. I think about it. I, I, I hear it. I think about it when I'm working. I'm just, um, you know, I'm going to take advantage when I get my opportunity to go out. Well, Calvin, we look forward to seeing what you do at the NFL level. It's been great having a chance to talk to you. Congratulations on your success at Alabama. All the best on Thursday and beyond. Okay, thank you so much. All right, thanks to Calvin Ridley. And coming up tomorrow, Georgia linebacker Roquan Smith, Alabama defensive back Minka Fitzpatrick, scheduled to join the program as we get closer and closer to the draft. Thursday night, the draft gets started. Oh, and by the way, what we typically do on draft night, and people have said to me, why aren't you in Dallas? Here's why I'm not in Dallas. Because life is a lot easier from the standpoint of working the draft, doing the interviews, doing the show, doing this podcast, which didn't exist a year ago. It's a lot easier to do it from here. I've done it both ways. I can get a lot more done, and I can be of a lot more value to the audience if I stay here. Also, I like staying home. Anytime that I can exercise discretion. Now, I know there are people who love to travel. Sure, I'll travel. I'll travel. Sure, let me go to Dallas. I want to go there. I want to go here. I want to go there. If I have to choose one or the other, I'm staying home. And I think in this case, it really is better for everyone if I'm here. Because too many distractions, too much travel, too many times off the grid, too much time unplugged, too much time away from everything that's happening. I'm in a much better spot to help you understand everything that's happening in the draft if I'm here. All right, time to answer some questions. PFTPM Posse out in full force. How would you compare Josh Rosen and his personality, stance on social political issues, propensity to speak out, etc., to Colin Kaepernick? Credit for this question goes to PFTPM Posse, member Man of Water 3615. To the extent that neither guy is willing to be a robot, that's the kind of thing 
that can rub folks the wrong way because there is something very chain of commandish about football. There are a lot of parallels between the military and football and plenty of coaches and organizations don't want players to be too individualistic, to think too much for themselves, to ask too many questions, to disrupt things by leading guys possibly in a direction away from what it is the coaching staff is selling. Now, if you're a leader and you're leading guys on the same path that the coach wants, it's fine. And with Rosen, I don't see anything, and I haven't heard anything to suggest that there would be a reasonable basis for thinking there's a distraction, a disruption, nothing. Now, again, I'm a guy who thinks there's nothing wrong with what Colin Kaepernick has done, in part because the NFL has given him and all other players the right to protest. You can't give them the right to protest and then hold it against them when they do. Oh, yes, you have the right to do that thing, that if you do it, you're not going to have a job. But you have the right to do it. Go ahead. You can do it. You can't give the person the right to do it. It's like Westwood One and NBC Sports Radio giving me the right to use the F-bomb during my show if I choose to. I have the right to do it. It's written into the contract. I have the right to drop an F-bomb whenever I want to, and then I do, and they fire me for it. Well, wait a minute. You've given me the right to do it. So I don't see an issue with either guy. And I think you want in any locker room, a diverse blend of personalities, not just backgrounds, not just shapes and sizes. I'm talking about how guys are leaders, followers, alphas, betas. Now, everyone who makes it to the NFL is an alpha in some capacity. There aren't a lot of guys who aren't willing to assert themselves at the NFL level, but you need somebody who will be a leader of guys who otherwise would be leaders. And that's what Rosen aspires to be. And I got no problem with that. No problem with it at all. At PFTPM Posse, we, you and the PFTPM Posse, can't be the only ones smart enough to figure out the conflicting BS Shefty reports on Brady playing versus retiring, so why doesn't anyone else point this stuff out? Here's why. It's considered bad form to criticize other people in the business. I got into that with Stephen A. Smith a couple of years ago. Can't criticize a colleague. First of all, we ain't colleagues. We're not colleagues. We're not partners. We're not business associates. We're not friends. We work for competing networks. How is that a colleague? And part of what I try to do is give people the unvarnished truth of everything. So if the players, if the coaches, if the owners, if the GMs are fair game for criticism, the people who make presumably a very good living, I have a feeling Shefty isn't wanting for anything. He's open to criticism too. I'm open to criticism. You want to criticize me? Fine. I don't care. See, when I practiced law, here's how it worked. When you're in a litigation practice, half the people you deal with, by definition, hate you. They're supposed to hate you. It's a fight. You are trying to prove that their story is untrue. You are trying to take money from their corporate coffers. Or or you're the person who is fighting against the individual who is trying to get justice by raiding the corporate coffers. Either way, when you're in litigation, half the people you deal with are supposed to love you. Half of them are supposed to hate you. And your job is to keep the half that is supposed to love you from hating you. Because if you fail in that regard, everybody hates you. So I said this years ago, back when it was the Old West PFT and I pissed off everybody. Look, anything less than half of the people hating me is a good day. Because I'm used to dealing every day with half the people I deal with. 
hating me, disliking me, resenting the fact that I'm making them work harder by pushing this angle, that angle, sending this letter, that letter. I had a reputation for being fairly relentless when it came to that stuff, and I took pride in that. It was a rocky mentality. And the lawyers who knew me best knew that the worst thing they could do is piss me off, because then I would kind of morph into this Rocky Balboa, I can't be stopped, I'll stay up all night, I'll work every day, I will get you if you piss me off. So, I don't know. Certain reporters who may have texted me that I should go F myself, you know, maybe they get a little harder treatment moving forward. Maybe they shouldn't have pissed me off. But I'm not. I'm not upset. I'm not. I'm really not. I'm, I'm serious. I'm not. I'm not just saying that. I just feel compelled to point out the truth so people understand how the sausage gets made and understand how this all works. Another question from the PFTPM Posse. What podcast would you recommend that the PFTPM Posse listen to? Do you have can't-miss podcasts other than PFTM and PFT Live? Of course, I don't listen to them. I, here's the thing. I hate to say this. I don't consume a lot of sports media other than what I need to provide information and also which gives me the basis for analysis and takes. You know, raw information. Transactional information. And then I'll take it from there. I, I don't, how do I put this? When you talk about it all the time, I don't want to hear somebody else talk to me about it. And I don't want to ever be accused of stealing someone else's take or stealing someone else's thought. So if I minimize the extent to which I consume what others are saying, I can confidently and honestly say, if someone says, you stole my idea, no, no. I didn't. We both have the same idea. You may have articulated yours first. Good for you. You beat me to it. It's still my idea. From time to time, I'll consume the Pardon My Take podcast. But even then, if I'm home and I'm working, typically what I'll do is I'll have on a cable channel for news purposes because I try to keep up what's going on in the world. I'll have something on Netflix or a streaming service as background noise, like The Office. I'm working my way through The Office. I don't sit here and intently watch it. It's just on while I work. It provides me some sort of a soundtrack. Sometimes it'll be music. And if there's something on a sports show that is worthy of repeating, I'll know about it. It'll be on Twitter. Somebody will tell me about it. I don't need to listen to any show to know what's being said on all the shows. And again, when you spend all your time talking, it's hard to spend any time listening. You need a break from it at some point. And I guess I should aspire to hear how other people do it. I've, I've already done that. I've already gotten to that point. I've listened to years of Dan Patrick. I've learned a lot from Dan Patrick. I'm not going to learn anything else from him beyond what I've already learned. And I will, of any shows, I'll listen to Dan's. But not as much as I used to, just because by the time I'm done, when I'm on 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, I do 15 to 20 minutes of videos on demand for the PFT website, I, I'm done at that point. I want quiet. I can't. I need a break. If his show was on 12 to 3 or 3 to 6, it'd be different. So, I owe a lot, a lot, a ton to Dan. And I'm going to miss him on Sundays in the fall as part of Football Night in America. He had to do what he needed to do. I'm fine with that. Whatever he chooses to do, that's his right. He gave me an opportunity eight years ago to guest host his show. I'm, I'm sure I've told this story before where 
somebody called me. One of the producers called me. Not one of the guys on air. Somebody behind the scenes. Hey, uh, Dan's going to be off next week and just wanted to see if you can do the show. Yeah, sure. Just have whoever the host is call me. At what, what, what time? What, 9.30? 9.40? What, what time? No, we want you to do the the show. Yeah, I'll do the show. I mean, it became an Abbott and Costello bit. Yeah, I sa- I'm saying, I'm telling you, I'll do the show. Just have the host call me and I'll do it. I, next week's good. It was July. I'm not doing anything. Yeah, and I, I never say no to Dan and I'll never say no to the host, the co- the guest host. And sure, you call me, ask me to come on, I'll be on. No, no, we want you to host the show. And it's like, okay, fine. You know, you, I don't appreciate the attempt at humor. I'm not equipped to do this. I'm not trained to do this. I've never done this. I have no idea what I'm doing. Now, nah, Dan thinks you can do it. Dan thinks that you're good with uh, speaking in sound bites and being concise. And Dan, Dan thinks you can do it. It's like, all right, well, um, all right, I'll do it. And I remember, I, I know I've told this story, freaked out, scared to death, up almost all night, pages and pages of notes, 12 different segments. I had to have everything that I was going to say planned out. It was stupid. It was asinine. But you have to go through that experience to get to the point where you realize, you know what? All you got to do is turn it on and go. And now I could turn it on and go drop of a hat. Three-hour show, I can do it. I remember you, I was amazed. And Dan probably thought I was so ridiculous and stupid. Like, I don't know how you do it, Dan. I don't know how you talk for three hours. I can't do this. This is very difficult to talk for three hours. I've learned reps, 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 reps. It's nothing. Any time of day, you could tap me on the shoulder and say, talk for three hours, go. And I would. And I, I know, look, you got like seven-minute breaks in between segments, so you can always figure out what you're going to say next. All you have to know is what you're saying right now. And once you finish saying what you're saying right now, the break comes. You got seven minutes to figure out what you're going to say next. And you don't need seven minutes. Oh, hey, here's this story. Okay, let's talk about this and go. And it's because Dan gave me the chance eight years ago to learn how to fly, right? I didn't know I had the wings, and maybe I don't. Maybe I'm flying into a window every day I do this. They let me keep doing it, so I'm going to keep flying into the window. But until you get a chance to do it, you don't realize that you can do it. You don't realize that it gets easier. You don't realize that you can do it in your sleep. So, anyway, I don't want anyone to think that I'm not interested in Dan's show. I am. It Sean Payton the other day, we did a story about it at PFT, dropped in the clip. Just the reality is I'm I'm spent after I do my show and do my VODs, and I just need a little quiet. And I do a lot of radio in the mornings, too. So, But when Dan has something NFL-related, guest, with some good content, we always promote it, and I always appreciate everything he's done to help me get to the point where I am. Whatever that point is, that's where I am. PFTPM Posse points out that on PFT Live this morning, stats on fire. That's Rob Stats Guerrero. Admits he listens to PFTPM because the cuss words make him nervous. I don't think he listens. I don't think he listens. He avoids listening because it makes it. Maybe he does. I don't know. I really don't pay much attention to him. Maybe he was saying he listens and it makes him nervous. I just think the concept that I have a afternoon podcast where I can say piss and shit if I want to. I think it makes him nervous that piss and or shit will come out in the morning. And you know what? It should make him nervous because I'm worried I'm going to do it too. So I still don't think he's admitted to being a closet member of the PFTPM posse. I don't think he admitted to listening to the show. But again, I don't listen to him, so I don't know what he really said. I'll defer to the PFTPM posse. (laughs) 
Steph Boyardee says that Stats wants to sit at the cool kids' table, but we don't allow people to cut up their pancakes to sit with us. <laughs> uh, bored to death. Who's more entertaining wide out when they're on the field, Antonio Brown or Odell Beckham? Odell Beckham is more entertaining because on any given play, you feel like he can score a touchdown. Antonio Brown is great, and I'd say between the two, I'd rather have Antonio Brown because there's a greater level of consistency. But Odell Beckham Jr. has that magic where any given play, he can take it and be gone. And, you know, for all the criticism of Odell Beckham Jr. and his distractions, he's not the one that broadcast Facebook Live from the locker room after a playoff win. That earned me an unfollow of Antonio Brown. He stopped following PFT on Twitter. But, hey, OBJ blocked us. He blocked us last year because I, I think that he didn't like the fact that we were criticizing him for not admitting that he was staying away from off-season workouts because he wanted a new contract. My point was just come out and say you want a new contract. Don't just mysteriously stay away. If you're staying away because you want a new contract, say so. Because otherwise, people don't know what the hell you're doing. Stand up and say you want a new contract. And he blocked me. So maybe I'll take Antonio Brown. At the Impact 99, how likely is it the Falcons pull a draft day trade of Julio Jones and or picks to move up and grab Matt Ryan's replacement? Interesting thought, but I don't think the Falcons are moving in that direction. The only way they would be is if Matt Ryan, through his agent Tom Condon, want so much money that they view the contractual demands as so ridiculously high that they're exasperated and they're moving on. But even then, you don't need to do that. You keep him this year. You franchise tag him next year at about $25.98 million. I think that's the number. 20% raise based on his cap number this year. And then you have another franchise tag the next year, which would be about $30 million, 20% raise over the 20% raise. Still less than paying him $30 million a year. See, that's the thing. These franchise quarterbacks now that see the Kirk Cousins deal, three years, $84 million fully guaranteed, $28 million a year fully guaranteed, only three years, so you'll walk away when it's done. They're going to want to rip up remaining years on their deals and do a three-year, $84, $85, $90 million a year deal, and their team is going to say no. Yeah, this Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers thing, I don't know what Rodgers has been demanding, but all the Packers have to say is, Aaron, look, here's how it works. You signed a contract in 2013. You're signed through 2019. We can franchise tag you in 2020. We can tag you again in 2021. We're paying out about $100 million over four years. We're not giving you $30 million a year for the next three, and then you're a free agent. You think we're crazy? Are you nuts? Do you think we're nuts? And Rodgers, I believe, is never going to bang that drum that he has a bad contract because the reaction would be, hey, Aaron, you're smart. You signed this contract in 2013. You took the security. You've got the security, and now you got to deal with it. At the Impact 99, are the Dolphins in stealth mode, or are they planning a big move for Thursday night? They've been really quiet over the offseason and regular season as well. There's a thought that they want Baker Mayfield or Josh Rosen kicking the tires on quarterbacks. I think Josh Allen visited as well. He did. He told us that. Miami was one of the seven teams he visited. The Jets were the only team that gave him a private workout. I think that we have to keep an eye on the Dolphins doing something. And... I know that irritates Coach Adam Gase, and I asked him last month at the league meetings, you consistently say that Ryan Tannehill is your guy. What do you have to do to get people to believe it? And he said, actions speak louder than words. And you know what? The actions here are visiting with guys like Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen. 
And if they draft one of those guys, maybe this is Tannehill's last year in Miami. But that's a wild card going into Thursday night, the Dolphins at number 11. I can't recall a year where there was so much uncertainty. I got to do a mock draft. I said I'd do it by today. Sorry. I'll try to do it by tomorrow. I've got some people that I trust who have put something together for me, and I don't want to just blindly post it. I want to look at it, understand it, maybe make some tweaks and some changes. And these are people, instantly recognizable names. Okay? I can't say who's helping me, but if I told you who, you'd say, shit, I'm putting some stock in this mock draft. That's all I can say. So, no matter who it is, the hand of God could come down from the heavens and etch the mock draft onto stone tablets and people would say it's the worst mock draft they've ever seen. Every mock draft is someone's worst mock draft they've ever seen. So, it's one of the reasons I only do one a year. And maybe next year I won't even do one at all. Because there's so many of them now. Who gives a shit? Do they really have any value? Well, the Mike Mayock mock draft. It just fills in the void. It fills in the sound. It fills in the noise. It supplies the noise. It adds nothing. I get nothing from any mock drafts. Nothing. And I assume if I get nothing, you get nothing. Because that's been the guiding principle for me ever since I started this thing 17 years ago as of November 1. I write about and talk about the things I'm interested in as a football fan. And I assume that if I'm interested, you're interested. It's a very simple guiding principle that dates back to the mid-70s when I read an interview with Paul Stanley of KISS, who said, we decided to create the show that we would pay money to go see. It's that simple. What do you like? Think about this. In anything that you are interested in, any industry... If you're a consumer of that thing you are interested in, what is it that you would pay for? What is it that you would spend your time on? What is it that you would frequent? Restaurant. What kind of restaurant do you want to go to? That's the kind of restaurant you need to open. What kind of bar would you hang out at? That's the kind of bar you need to open. Because that's real, it's authentic, it's organic. And unless your value system is completely screwed up, there are going to be other people out there who feel the same way you do. So... That's where we are. That's how we got to where we are. And what's my point? Oh, I'm now at the point where I'm not interested in mock drafts. So maybe there'll be no mock drafts next year. And I don't think there's any value that comes from mock drafts. Recliner QB with only a few top draft prospects and a lot more top agents and a ton of bullshit about the value of a good agent since of the rookie wage scale. How should agent rookies choose each other? Look, A rookie needs to find a good agent, and there are good agents. And you have to trust, at some point, someone who is advising you on who a good agent is. And I am convinced that, and I've seen others argue that an agent can't influence where you're drafted. And I say to that, you're either lying or you're stupid or both. And I've seen people who have been agents who say an agent can't affect where you're drafted. You must not have been a very good agent, pal. Must be the reason why you're no longer an agent. Because I know that there are agents out there who can affect where a guy is going to be drafted, either by shitting on a competitor and saying bad things about a guy who may be drafted instead of that agent's client or doing everything he can to prop up that client. And the best example, and this is extreme, but let me tell you what happened. This was 2005. 
There were three. I've told this story. Let me tell it again. Gary was shard. He died the day the lockout started in 2011. Gary was relentless. Gary was the biggest promoter of his clients that I have ever encountered. None since, none before. He was one of a kind. And he would sell, sell, sell his guys at every turn and sell and sell and sell to the point where if I was a GM, I'd say, I'm taking your guy. Just shut the hell up and leave me alone. Just quit calling me. You want me to take your guy? If, if it gets you to not call me for a week, I'll take your guy. 2005, he had Pac-Man Jones. The other top defensive backs at the time were Antrell Roll and Carlos Rogers. And he was determined to get Pac-Man Jones drafted before any of the other defensive backs. Now, there was a lot of bad stuff out there on Pac-Man Jones. A lot of bad stuff. That was the year Chris Henry also came out of Morgantown. And someone who would go on to be a GM with one of the teams told me at the time, I'm surprised no one was killed, directly or indirectly, because of their interactions with Pac-Man Jones or Chris Henry in Morgantown. That's how much negative stuff there was. And Gary was shard by promoting Pac-Man Jones and shitting on Rodgers and Roll, got Jones drafted before the other two and made Jones a top five pick, top ten pick, whatever it was. Five, six, or seven of the Titans. And his audience was Floyd Reese and Jeff Fisher. And he worked him and he worked him and he worked him. And he worked the people in the media to get behind the idea of Pac-Man Jones being a better selection at defensive back than Antrell Roll and Carlos Rogers. And he worked it and he worked it and he worked it. And I'm convinced that that effort made it happen. That that effort eventually persuaded the Titans to take Pac-Man Jones. It was a factor. So, yeah. Between that between picking the right pre-draft workout program, getting the player ready for the scouting combine, getting the player ready for the interviews that happen there and elsewhere, getting the player ready for the Wonderlick. We won't dabble in the Wonderlick scores, but whatever your score was, if you don't have an agent, it's going to be at least the same, if not likely higher, if you do have an agent, because the agent is going to prep you. And as legend had it, Wishard had copies of the test at a time when Others didn't. Most good agents, I think, now have reliable copies of the Wonderlick test. And there are several different versions. And I remember when that topic first came up of guys essentially cheating by having the Wonderlick test. I had a scout tell me, hell, if the guy can remember multiple different versions of the Wonderlick test and regurgitate one of them to me, I got no concern about him learning a playbook. Sign me up. At Steph, where do you, what's your favorite place you've been to that's not in the United States? I, I think where do we, I think the only place I've been to that's not in the United States is Toronto. I think that's it. Toronto, Niagara Falls did that. It's been a good 14 years ago. I've been told that I need to go to Italy, the homeland. I, I just, I just, I haven't had the occasion or the interest. I've only been flying again for the last four years. And when you travel on a regular basis as part of the football season. When things slow down, I just as soon stay home. Eric Kleiner, QB. My wife and I do Taco Tuesday, Wing Wednesday, starting Meatless Monday. Screw Meatless Mondays. What's your margarita or tequila of choice with your Mexican food, or do you still drink whiskey, bourbon? No, I'll just get, I get the house margarita, the plain, the lime, the frozen with the salt. You know, sometimes if I'm in the mood for it, I'll get the margarita with, uh, you know, on the rocks. But I'll tell you what, those are dangerous. Because those go down very easily for me. And the next thing you know, I'm walking home. And not very well. 
At Black88 Elite, can you name all the original members of the PFTPM posse? Oh, boy. Brady. Black88 Elite. Terry Gensler. Jeremy York, a.k.a. the Impact 99. Recliner QB seems like a more recent addition. I think Recliner QB is the person who put... I don't know who put PFTPM Posse together. Reverend Markworth? I don't know. I'm probably missing somebody, and now somebody's going to exit the PFTPM Posse because they didn't get a shout-out. It's at least those folks. But the group has grown. Which... I mean, two weeks ago, I'm like, yeah, you know what? That was fun. It gave me something that I could sound out different ideas and work through different takes. And, you know, I enjoyed it. I started really doing it last year when PFT Live was off, when I got my four-week vacation. And every weekday I was doing this just because I wanted to have something for the people who had the PFT Live podcast so they'd have a new new file that they could listen to, a new download they could enjoy. And it was a half hour and... I didn't mind it, so I just kind of kept doing it. But as of two weeks ago, I was done. And then I did it on Friday after not doing it Monday through Thursday, and the reaction convinced me that people actually do listen to it and people actually do enjoy it. I'm still not quite sure why, but I'm going to keep doing it. I would like to attract some sponsors. we got a few things we're working on, but we got to get the viewership. Not viewership. What is it? Audience. Listenership. we got to get that up higher. Whatever it is now, probably needs to double before we can start making some money off of this. So tell your friends, tell your family, tell your enemies, tell anyone to check out the PFTPM podcast. Brady asks of Josh Allen. He threw for less than 150 yards in five of his last 11 games, less than 100 in one of them. How is that top five quarterback material? I think what they're doing here is a projection of Josh Allen based upon his size his arm strength, his skill set, and also what he was asked to do in that offense and the tools he had to work with. It's a tough projection. But I'd be shocked if he's not a top-five pick. The question is, will he be the first overall pick of the Browns? And if he's not one, where does he go? How far does he fall? I think one is his ceiling and five is his floor, I think. But you know what? Nobody knows. That's part of the fun. Reverend Markworth wants me to speculate. The most a team will have to give up to move up in the draft. It depends where they're starting. It depends where they're finishing. Another first-round pick or two. Last year, the Chiefs gave up their first-round pick at 27, this year's first-round pick, and I think a three to move up to 10. But six years ago, Washington gave up the sixth overall pick, two more ones, and a three to move up four spots. And I recall that when the Chargers drafted Ryan Leaf, they actually traded up with the Cardinals. Cardinals drafted Andre Wadsworth, if I recall correctly. Was it Andre Wadsworth? The Chargers gave up a lot to move up that one spot to be guaranteed one of the two quarterbacks. So... At some point, what you give up is driven not by the spot, but by the player. Who is the player that you're trying to get? And also, what are you giving? Is it first-round pick this year, spot 15, spot 20, spot 28? What spot is it? That influences the total haul as well. So I think there's a lot of variables there before we can properly speculate on the most that someone will have to give up to move up. 
Steph Boyardee asks, if you're able to sit down and have a conversation with the commissioner, what would you ask him? Boy, that's a good question, and I'm not just saying that to buy time, although I am a little bit. I've interviewed him face-to-face once or twice. I went to his office once in early 2010, hung out and just kind of talked for an hour or so, off-the-record conversation. Had an interview with him later that year as we were doing our first and only PFT magazine season preview. What a pain in the ass that was. That was a long walk for a short beer. Although it it did generate more money than the PFT PM podcast has, so it had that going for it, which is nice. But, you know, I was asking him all the newsy questions, and I think he got a little irritated. I think at one point he said something like, are you going to ask anything positive? Well, I'm not there to, you know shake pom-poms, and throw bouquets. He's got a whole stable of reporters working directly for him whose paycheck he signs that can do that. And people want to know what's going on in the sport. There are tough questions that need to be addressed. I don't know what the one question is that I would ask him. Maybe I would ask him a question based upon MDS's take from a few weeks ago, an excellent comparison between football and karate. Parents put their kids in karate class and the kids don't get kicked in the face. Parents tune in to watch UFC, mixed martial arts, and they want to see adults kicking each other in the face. Why is it that the NFL believes that the way to promote youth football is to make pro football so over-the-top safe that it risks opening the door for a competing league? That would be the genesis. That would be the subject matter. And ultimately, I'd want to know, are you concerned that if you make pro football too safe in an effort to save youth football and preserve the flow of talent from the youth level up, are you opening the door for someone to say, I am going to launch a football league that entails football being played the way it was played in the 80s and the 90s, and everyone knows the risks, and everyone accepts the risks, and everyone is signing a waiver, and we are going to capture a significant chunk of the NFL's market share. I'd want to ask him about that, because if I were him, frankly, that would be my biggest concern. Because it's just a matter of time, I think, especially once gambling is legalized. We're going to see more sports leagues, because there's got to be more shit to bet on. That's why... The Alliance of American Football is emerging. One of the reasons. XFL coming back. Other forms of football. Because people who want to bet will need something to bet on. And if you bet on it, you're going to want to watch it because you're going to want to see how your investment turns out. Plain and simple. And you have an interest in it at that point. You're entertained by it. Hey, I got 100 bucks riding on this. I took this team. I don't know who the hell this team is, but I bet on them. I'm going to watch their game. At the real Forno, when the PFTPM Posse shirts are made, can we get one saying, Stats on Fire is banned? It's done. That will be included. The Impact 99, given the recent interviews with Sean Payton, how likely is it the Saints try to make a move for the next quarterback after Drew Brees? Well, I, it's clearly on the radar screen because Sean Payton told Dan Patrick on Monday they would have taken Patrick Mahomes last year if... Marshawn Lattimore had been the 10th overall pick instead of Mahomes. So they almost took Breeze replacement in 2017. That tells me it's in play this year. The only thing is, Sean Payton's already made it clear he doesn't think much of this quarterback class. Now, is he doing some Jedi mind trick? 
to try to get Lamar Jackson? To try to throw people off the scent? Because what happens is the teams will identify the hot spots. And if you're looking at Lamar Jackson and you're picking, let's say, the Patriots at 23. Let's say they really are interested. And let's say that they really want to get Lamar Jackson. Well, wait, 23. I think that's ahead of where the Saints are. Never mind. Let's say the Patriots at 31. They've earmarked that pick. And I'm confusing it too much. If you're below the Saints or any team that may, well, let's just do that. That's a shitty example. Let me just forget I said that. If you're low in round one, you're looking at the hot spots where Lamar Jackson may be drafted. Cardinals, Chargers, Ravens, Saints. And you you get an assessment. How likely do I think it is that that team is going to take Lamar Jackson? And if you really want him, you got to be ready to jump that team. you got to be ready to cut the line with a trade. So let's say Jackson makes it past the Cardinals and the Chargers and the Ravens, and he's trickling down toward the Saints. Well, you know, I've heard Sean Payton basically say he doesn't think much of this draft class at quarterback, so... Uh, I don't have to worry about the Saints. They're not going to take him. And boom, they take him. That may be part of what Sean's trying to do. And that's part of the game that gets played. Let's see what else we have here. At VAB1997, do you have a personal preference to one of the top six quarterbacks in the draft? If so, why? um, I remember last year, I really liked Deshaun Kaiser. And I'm not ready to assume Kaiser is done. Just because he played for one of the worst teams in NFL history, and everybody thinks Hugh Jackson is a quarterback whisperer. I've heard some things recently that suggest to me he's not, and that it's a a mirage and a facade. I almost said a a massad. A mirage and a facade, and it's not true. It's not real. There's not a whole lot of quarterback whispering going on. It's possible that Kaiser got ruined by the Browns last year. I really liked Kaiser when I talked to him last year. So far this year... Now, I've spoken to Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, not Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen. Hoping to talk to Baker Mayfield. Lamar Jackson, good luck. We've tried. With no agents, hard to track him down. I I like Rosen. I like Rosen. I really hope we get a chance to talk to Baker Mayfield. It's supposed to be on the docket for this week. It's supposed to happen tomorrow. We'll see. But uh, I think Rosen and Mayfield... There's something about those guys. And with Rosen especially, I I like what he has to say. And if the only knock on him is, well, you know, maybe he asks too many questions, maybe he's too curious, maybe he doesn't love football. If that's the only knock, sign me up for Josh Rosen. At Recliner QB, what's your favorite type of music, favorite musicians, groups? Oh, Oh, man, you really haven't. You're new to this. Kiss and Green Day. That's my standing request for halftime of the Super Bowl in any Super Bowl, in every Super Bowl. Kiss and Green Day. Sign me up for Kiss and Green Day. And, uh, you know, the problem is not it's too late for Kiss. It's still not too late for Green Day. Went to see Green Day last March with my son. I haven't been to a Kiss show since 2000. And, and even then, that was 18 years ago, I'm thinking maybe it's time to retire the, the wigs and the grease paint and the platform shoes. And I've seen some clips on YouTube. Paul Stanley can't sing anymore, not like he used to. Gene Simmons can't move anymore. It, it's it's not it's it's just kind of sad now. What they need to do, and I think in Paul Stanley's biography, he hints at this. They need to basically find 25-year-old versions of themselves who can play the songs, 
who can pull off the routine and who will be KISS for the next generation or two or three. And you just have new members of KISS. And KISS continues with the lights and the explosions and the music and everything else. That's what they need to do. And it may be that they can't find anybody who can do that, but there's got to be... There's got to be somebody. You, you, once you put that makeup on, if you put the makeup on the right way, they're indistinguishable. You can't, you, you can't tell them from that. You know, you do the makeup right. That's the key. You do the makeup right. You have the, the similar body size, shape. You can mimic the voices. And, uh, and, and, you know, you play the guitar. There's a lot of people that can play the guitar and the bass drum. They can learn how to do it. Reps, 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 reps. So anyway, I don't like But yeah, Kiss and Green Day. Those are the top two. Anything else, I have a wide, eclectic variety of musical tastes, depending upon what mood I'm in or what, what time of year it is or whatever the case may be. I like the Rolling Stones a lot. When, when we're outside, I got an outdoor sound system. When I'm outside uh, with the grill, I, I, I'll, I'll kick in uh, Some Girls and Emotional Rescue. Those are my two favorite Stones albums, and just play those until they're done. And then uh, sometimes Hall & Oates, that's a Paul Allen favorite. Just it's, it's, I, I, I don't like to slam the door. Because there's a lot of great music out there, and and I don't like to, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't like that you define yourself by the kind of music you like. Yeah, you like a lot of different music. It's it's okay. There's a lot of good music. Why why shut the door on something that you may enjoy under the right circumstances? Sergio D wants to know the region in Italy the Florio clan came from, Calabria, southern Italy. And I really would like to go back there at some point. I've never been there. I'd like to go there. Go back there implies I've been there. At Mike Likes Dirt, if Tom Brady walked away today, which team is in the best spot to win the AFC East in 2018? Oh, boy. That's a good question. I'd say the Dolphins. Don't sell the Dolphins short. They went through a lot of hardships last year. A lot of hardships. I'd say of those three teams right now, the Dolphins. Especially because the Dolphins are the most likely to not be breaking in a rookie quarterback this year. At the Laughing Man 5, I think the best quarterback in the draft is Rosen. I'm concerned he won't fit in the Bills' spiritual locker room. Is there a way for a coach to get around having the quarterback being so different from him philosophically? I, I mean, uh, spiritual, you're saying like Christianity? Because you know what? That is a reality. There's a lot of Christians who are in the football world, and Josh Rosen isn't. And I always get concerned we, we talked about this last week. Even though I'm Christian slash Roman Catholic, I, I feel like you exclude people if you are too overt with your religion in the workplace. And I had lawsuits that I handled on behalf of individuals. There's a, there's a, uh, a company that, that wore the religion too much on the sleeve to the point where it alienated people who didn't practice the religion the way that management thought they should. And, and that's a problem. There are protections against that. There are protections against making decisions about people based upon their religious preferences and practices. And I, 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 I'd hate to think that that's going to be an issue for somebody. I'd hate to think that. that I, hey, you know what? I look at it this way. If you got a problem with Josh Rosen, don't draft him. Let one of your competitors draft him, and then you have to deal with him twice a year. And you have to deal with him for the division championship, the playoff positioning, maybe in the postseason. Go ahead. If you don't want him, go ahead, pass on him, and let somebody else take him. 
At Jonathan P8, do you see the Colts moving back with the sixth pick and racking up additional late picks? If not, who do you see them getting? Quentin Nelson to protect Andrew Luck. I think they were happy to move from three to six because they still think they're going to get an elite player at six. I think Chris Ballard is reluctant to move back much farther than that because I think they really want to get one of the elite players. And the sense is there's a drop-off after the top eight or so. So I think that unless they are made an offer that they really can't refuse, the Colts are going to stand pat at six. They could get Saquon Barkley. They could get Bradley Chubb. They could get Quentin Nelson. You know, if three quarterbacks go in the first four or five picks, the Colts essentially still have the second or third overall pick. The Laughing Man 5 with two first-round picks and Gronk get New England into the top five. I, If they want to be there, I don't know that they want to be there. 23-31 and Gronkowski. Gronkowski may not have the trade value people think because he's in a weird spot with his career right now. How much longer is he going to play? How much money does he want? Is he happy? Is he not happy? I think it's going to take two first-round picks and something else to get into the top five. I don't know that Gronk gets it done. I don't know if they want to part ways with Gronk, but I don't know that Gronk is a sure thing enough. You you draft somebody with one of those picks, you got them for four or five years at a very affordable rate. There's an attraction to that. You can build a solid team if you have a nucleus of guys who are under that rookie wage scale contract. At the Laughing Man 5, don't you think if Brandon Bean, the Bills GM, and Dave Gettleman, the Giants GM, are truly friends, then... Gettleman would tell Bean, don't even bother because I'm going to have to ask too much for number two. Or is it more, I'll give you a right to match any deal before I take it among GMs that are friends with each other. I don't think it's either. I think it's this. Nobody moves toward their bottom line until the pick is on the clock. And I don't know what the Bills will offer. And the Giants don't know what the Bills will offer. And the Bills don't know what the Giants will want until that 10 minutes goes. And I've heard stories of the Eli Manning-Philip Rivers trade from 2004. Nobody thought that was going to happen until it happened. And it happened when it was time for it to happen. So the Bills will trade up. They won't trade up. They want to trade up. They can't trade up. We'll know when it's time. And when you're on the clock and it's time to make that phone call and it's time to make a decision, that's when everyone gets clarity. And they either say yes or they say no. At... Andrew, yay. Uh-oh. Clicked on the button and I screwed up the questions. Here we go. Got to scroll down again. Hope I didn't screw it up too bad. We got a lot of questions today. And I feel like, uh, see, here's what happens. I think I got, I think when I refreshed it, I screwed it up. Let's see. Where are we? Where are we? I got to find my spot again. This isn't good. I think I'm getting warm. I'm getting warm. Here we go. Andrew Yeh, getting married in Toronto this weekend. Congratulations. Andrew Yeh, I think an original member of the PFTPM Posse. Do you ever see an NFL franchise landing there? Does the NFL not see a benefit because a good proportion of Canadians already watch the NFL, even without a team of their own? Look, they tried that split schedule with Toronto and Buffalo. That was part of the effort, I think, by Ralph Wilson to, during his lifetime, establish a partial foothold in Toronto to regionalize the fan base and ensure that the team would remain in Buffalo. I think he was determined to try to create a scenario where the Bills would stay in Buffalo. He wanted that to be his legacy, and I think he thought in order to do that, they had to have a number of home games in Toronto every year. The Toronto experiment did not work. I would be shocked if the NFL ever put a team in Toronto while the Bills are in Buffalo. And I just, I mean, look, they tried it. It ended, 
and there's no talk now of any games being played in Toronto. So I think that ship has sailed. I think the Bills stay in Buffalo indefinitely because of ownership and ownership's ties to Buffalo, and they don't feel the need to regionalize the fan base. They don't feel the need to go back to Toronto because Toronto just didn't work. The 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 attendance started strong, and it got worse and worse and worse. Contrast that with London, where the attendance is strong every time the NFL plays a game there. At VAB1997, any chance you can get Chris Sims to be on the PFTPM podcast before the draft on Thursday to run through his favorite prospects? I don't want to impose on him any more than I have this week because we got him for four days on PFT Live, but I'll get him on the PFTPM podcast at some point after the draft. How about that? And then he can, oh God, because I've seen clips of his podcast with Bleacher Report. He goes even farther than I do. He goes full-blown F-bomb. He, he's out of control on his regular podcast, but I'll, I'll ask him. And you know, here's the problem. He's going to want me to do his podcast. See, I, I don't like quid pro quo. He's going to want me to do his if I ask him to do mine. And, you know, we deal with each other enough as it is. Well, we'll see. We'll take that one under advisement. At 02359 Raider, what do you think of a scenario where the Browns take Barkley at one, let two and three go, and then grab Chubb at four? Tyron, uh, Tyrod Taylor is serviceable, and this quarterback class isn't as good as last year. Yeah, you know, I, I guess we could say Saquon Barkley's in the conversation at one. A league source tells me Saquon Barkley is in the conversation at number one because at some point the Browns have conversed about Saquon Barkley. Maybe they shock everyone and don't go quarterback. But you know what? The pressure is on them to not pass on a quarterback that could be a franchise quarterback. Is it worse? I think it's worse to not take a quarterback and have that quarterback become great than to take the wrong quarterback and have a quarterback that you pass on be great. But... If there really isn't a great quarterback in this draft, and see, that's the thing. Every year there's going to be the top quarterbacks. But just because they're the top quarterbacks in any year doesn't mean that they're guaranteed to be great quarterbacks. That's part of the challenge of scouting, and who knows what John Dorsey's going to decide to do. All right, I probably should wrap this up. I have a feeling that the, oh, my God, I've been going for an hour, and we had three interviews, so this one's going to be really long. Let's do this. I appreciate all the questions. And we will do it again on Wednesday. Micah Fitzpatrick, Roquan Smith. I guess there's an outside chance at Baker Mayfield. We're going to try to nail that one down. But thank you for your time. Thank you for your questions. Appreciate the ongoing membership in the PFTPM Posse. And if you know somebody at Old Spice, hook us up for an official PFTPM sponsorship. Have a great day. Talk to you Wednesday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.